Welcome to another episode of Invite the Neighbors. This is your host, Brian Porter. On this episode, we have Lizzie and the Makers from New York. Check that out. Um, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Um, give us a follow on Instagram at Invite the Neighbors Pod, Twitter at Invite the Neighbors Pod, we're on Facebook for some reason. Um, follow us on Spotify. We're also on iTunes. I mean, you probably know that because you're listening. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. This is a music podcast, and it's also a deep slash bullshit podcast. And I have literally no clue what we talked about on this episode because it's been a hot minute. It got buried in the queue, and I, I'm sorry, Lizzie and the Makers. I'm very sorry. Um, I've been lazy. But here it is, dude. It's here now. And make sure you go check out Lizzie and the Makers and all their music. And if you're in New York... Go hit them up. Oh, yes. All right, I'm, I'm done trying accents. Anyways, enjoy the episode. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's pretty exciting, huh? You yeah. got a, a robot <laughs> voice thing now recording. <laughs> yeah. I love this. <laughs> so where are you from, by the way? Because I've heard some of the music, and it's obviously got that southern twang thing going on, but not quite that. But where, where are you guys actually from? Um, we're actually all, uh, well, I'm from New York. I was born and raised in Manhattan. Um, and uh, my guitarist is from Long Island. Um, and uh, bass players from Texas. Keyboard players from New Jersey. Drummer is also from, is from New York, Brooklyn. Oh, okay. But my dad, my dad's from, was from Mississippi. Um, so... He influenced a lot of my musical taste. Uh, okay, yes, because I was gonna say like, there's got to be like, it can't just be the bass player from Texas, right? No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I was reading like your guys's uh, your bio, and basically, I was just cheating. But <laughs> it says you know, tinge with art rock and dream pop and things like that, and that's where I get interested. You know, yeah, I, I like that. Um, I uh, I dare to use the art word when I describe yeah. my own music, and it's always <laughs> a, a little bit. I don't know. I always feel a little bit hesitant to throw that out there, just because of the way it might, you might be perceived or like pretentious or anything like that. But I mean, it is what it is. You know. Yeah, I felt the same way. I think I like added it and deleted it several times, and I thought, can I really? Is this really yeah. okay? Is this going to turn people off? And I was like, nope, I'm going with it. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't know where that comes from. Like, where the stigma behind that comes from. Like, in terms of, like, being willing to call it art. Or right. use that word. It's like, yeah. that's what it is. I mean, music no. <laughs> is... Even shitty music is still art, technically. You know? It's just shitty, shitty art. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I don't understand why that's such a, a a thing to where like if someone is willing to use it in the, it's just a descriptor for the genre. It's not, I don't see it as like oh that person takes himself too seriously or anything like that. It just means that like, for to me that just kind of says that like all right you see what you're doing as, you know like an actual like passion thing where it's not just. And you know, and no, no shade necessarily to someone who is into the more like generic, just pop, just like money making type approach to things. But I feel like you know, you you call it art rock, things like that. He kind of takes it into the other direction, where it's like 
this is more like I'm trying to create something meaningful and not just, you know, follow like the pop formula. Yeah, that's exactly the right word, formula. I feel like that's that's why I use it. It's not we're not trying to fit any sort of mold or some cookie cutter image of what we should be. It's we're creating something. So it's art. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so like like with with that, do you have like um cuz well, you're on your second record right now, right? Yeah. Okay. And so like are there are there concepts like when you go into making a record like and you know this could have been different from 1 to 2 now but like have you had different themes in mind that you like set out to make or concepts you set out to make or you know did a theme maybe emerge after the fact that you didn't necessarily intend to make but is there you know what I mean Yeah I think it usually emerges after the fact I think we really write in the moment and and uh as a result, in the end, we realized there was a theme going through based on whatever we were going through when we were writing or yeah. what was going on in the world when we were writing. But yeah, we we haven't yet set out to have, you know, before writing, pick a theme and then and then fit to it. It's usually just kind of afterwards we realize, oh, these songs kind of go together and tell a story, which is great. <laughs> it's always like, I'm more impressed when that happens then okay i shouldn't say more because you know i have a lot of respect for people that actually set out to create like a concept record and it actually if it actually works like i'm like damn that takes a lot of brain power and a lot of like organization that i don't really approach music with at all uh (laughs) but i am always just amazed in general at like I don't know the universe when you make something and that theme is just there and it's so yeah. obviously there, but it wasn't the intention at all. It's just like a subconscious sort of, like you said, like whatever you're going through just kind of just comes out. It's almost to me, like you'd have to be trying to keep that from happening. Like if you're writing right. a record, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do think, and I do think there are some concept rep- records that, that don't succeed because of that, because um, it just sounds too forced or it sounds too much. Some tracks, it sounds like, oh, you, you decided you needed to write a track to fill this <laughs> hole yeah. of your preconceived idea. And it sounds like it. It doesn't sound authentic. Right, right. Yeah, there's... Sometimes it works. Yeah, and in, in the rare instances, well, I don't want to say necessarily rare instances, but I feel like it's kind of rare where there's like a concept record that you hear and it's actually just like banging, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. like, oh, it's like, it's when it happens, it's special, you know, like it doesn't happen yeah. a lot. I feel like, but, but with your guys's records, like, I guess start with like the first one, like what did, what do you think kind of were some of the themes that you pulled from it and then maybe move to the one that you are kind of promoting now, like, if there's similarities, did it like, you know, what is the theme between the two? Are they connected at all? You know, that's the type of stuff that I think is pretty interesting to hear about. Um, I think the first one, um, was in writing the lyrics, at least I was really responding a lot to, uh, my environment in certain situations. So it's a song like 3.5 starts out talking about, your car breaking down on your way out of town. I mean, that actually happened to me. Um, 
a couple songs about a place where I used to work called the Trash Bar. And, and so a lot of those lyrics are like uh, kind of taking into stock those places where I find myself, um, how they affect me emotionally, um, and kind of, you know, telling a story from there. Um, and all very, uh, <clears throat> you know, auto, autobiographical, I would say. Um, yeah. On this record, I would say it's more about, like, a feeling, a certain feeling or a situation you're in as opposed to an, uh, an environment. And um, I'm expanding upon that and the different sides to that feeling. Um, or that position you're in, you know, they can be angry because of the situation, you can be hopeful, you can be resentful, um, you can be empowered by it. And so I think, well, again, there, there's a little more, little, there's still some autobiographical stuff happening there, but I think it's also more uh, talking about a situation that's universal that anybody could be in or find themselves in. Um, so maybe, you know, it's still personal, but not really literally my life which i feel like the first one was okay yeah i think that's uh that's another thing that's kind of hard to avoid like right you know if you if you think about it without diving too far into it the idea of creating something universal might seem daunting but then you realize like if you just write about yourself but in a way that isn't like so specific like almost anything you write about is going to be like has have some universal yeah ability you know because people go through the same things it, absolutely it, yeah it can feel so like i don't know it can obviously feel so specific to you because it is because you are still having a specific thing but like you know swap out a few details and then that's like someone else's experience to a t so right exactly i did an interview recently where uh, the interviewer was asking about a song and thought he had figured out exactly what it was about. And he's like, it reminded <laughs> me of this situation with my friend's dad who was going through health issues. And I'm like, this is exactly what this song's about. And it wasn't about that at all. But yeah. I loved that he could listen to that song and tap into it with his own, you know, personal feelings. And feel like it spoke to him, even though it was completely not anything at all what i was thinking about when i was writing it i mean i think that right. makes a good song you know if you shouldn't have to tell your listeners what a song is about or what it needs to mean to them or how they need to react to it kind of if, if you listen to a song and it evokes something within you without crying um that's that's what i think a great a great song is yeah that's that's something i had to like uh i've had to sort of learn to except because <laughs> when i was like earlier on if i was writing songs i uh i would if an interpretation that somebody had was too far off from what i was intending i would feel like no that's wrong like, <laughs> you know i would feel like too overprotective of what the meaning is supposed to be and like what and then there's you know there's obviously going to be times where it's like where the hell are you even getting that from when yeah. someone tells you but it's like okay but I agree though it it, it is now I nowadays I, I look at it more like it, it it's better to have people 
be able to kind of attach their own meaning to things because if it if it's too specific and they can't do that then it's like they might they might admire it for sounding good or something mm. but it's not going to have the same i feel like re-listenability if they you know the people are going to be drawn back to something more if, if they feel like it's something that, they, that it's theirs in some way yeah. you know what I, mean? I mean it it happens to to me too i feel like i'll write a song means one thing a few years later means something totally different to me and none of the lyrics have changed anything but it's i somehow relate to it in a different way and when when we were we recorded this new album pre-covid so we were releasing it i kind of went back and i was like do these songs still relevant i mean can we still put them out because so much has changed and so much has happened in the past year and a half and do we need to rewrite the whole album and i went back and listened to them and i was like wow you know it still works for me but they they all mean something totally different um, or just means something to me from a, a different perspective, I guess, that we all have now after lockdowns and all of that. But, um, yeah, I think that's when I started to realize, too, with our first album, I wrote one song specifically about a guy that really pissed me off. <laughs> and, like, four years later, I'm listening to the song or singing the song, and I'm like, oh, well, this is about this now when I'm singing it. And it was about that guy. And that's kind of when I realized that the songs do have this kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, they can be reshaped over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this co- kind of amorphous quality. Um, yeah. That, that's really cool. And it doesn't have to just mean one thing and exist in a, in a certain space in the past. Yeah. And I like to, what you said before about like uh, certain writing, not about a specific thing but like a f- more like a feeling i think i think that makes lyrics even easier to write when you're not trying to create some specific scene or something if you're and it not, not all the lyrics i mean this is almost like a loophole that i found to, okay. to make l- lyrics easier for me but writing about a just a feeling allows you to like tie in a bunch of different things in lyrics that don't necessarily follow like a uh, particular, you know, storyline or anything like that. But it's just like a bunch of things that are loosely related because they kind of evoke a similar feeling and they contribute to this more abstract thing. And then, yeah, it, you know, that does kind of let things shift. You can change the meaning and it makes it easier for people to, I don't know, interpret it in a way that fits them rather. Yeah. More personal experience than like your traditional uh, storytelling, which is great too. I mean, I sang in a country show last night and realized like all country songs are like a story, you know, and a a storyline, which is great. Um, It's something I do sometimes, but not very often. Uh, But it's definitely a different kind of listener experience too when you do that. You know, you're listening to the story, you want to know what happens in the end, or the stories kind of becomes your own story as you're listening to it um there's nothing yeah you know, one isn't better than the other they're just they're definitely different oh yeah definitely um yeah so i want to actually uh pull another thing from this bio that you that you guys have on your website because i mm-hmm. think it's i i just watched Eraserhead yesterday and it's Ooh. Uh, <laughs> yeah that was first, first time? time that was my first time seeing Eraserhead. yeah oh wow 
and I I was just like, what the fuck? And it, <laughs> it was like, but I like David Lynch, you know, and you yeah. mentioned, uh, it says, you were definitely rock and roll, but it's almost like when we wrote these songs, they went through a David Lynch portal and came out a little bizarre. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, okay, I like that. And I kind of <laughs> wanted to see like, I just want to nerd out about David Lynch, I guess. Like I was watching that and it's like his stuff is like, and he's said this, but they're his movies are more like moving paintings than they are like stories. Mm. And I guess just curious, like the way you, if there's anything behind the David Lynch thing for you guys, like if it's like, if that's like really like a big influence or if that was more of just like a, like an analogy, like a, just like, you know, just like a casual analogy there. Um, no, I mean, I love David Lynch. I mean, the first, Eraserhead I saw when I was like 12. I probably shouldn't have. Uh, <laughs> You're like, is this a movie too? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, had a, I had a friend that was really into uh, like scary movies and horror and suspense. And, and, and so she would always make me watch these movies with her. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've been following him for a while. And I'm a big Twin Peaks fan. Yeah. And when we were writing a lot of these songs, uh, it's when the second season or newest season came out. Um, and my guitarist and co-writer and I were just like obsessed with it and obsessed with him and you know there's so much detail that goes in to his movies and and that series right down to the sounds like in Eraserhead you know you hear like the sound of like the clanging radiator yeah. I mean it's like these it's like audio plays just as much of a, a part as the visual in his films and I also just feel like he, he has like one foot, he doesn't have three feet, but he's like, he, you know, he's got kind of old Hollywood or old world quality to some of the stuff he does. Like there's definitely mm -hmm. some of this like 1940s, 50s energy in, in some of the stuff that he does. They don't take place back then, they take place in the present. Then he's also got some weird space alien futuristic stuff happening too. And I feel like that's kind of, a, with our songwriting, that's kind of where we were headed and where we want to be, where, you know, we're inspired by the blues, we're inspired by Southern rock. Um, I grew up listening to jazz, and all of that really informs my songwriting. Um, and, you know, we're writing for today, but we like to add these little sound effects or little parts like our keyboard player, these like warpy, warbly parts yeah, make it seem a little like uh, an unsettling effect. So you think you're hearing you're hearing something familiar that's accessible. You can hear the, the the traditional influences, but there's something else going on there. You're not really sure what it is. You know, was, and like if we were like a blues band on Mars, like that <laughs> night. Yeah. Um, and then all, and then in addition to that, you know, I just I love the the music, the live music scenes in Twin Peaks where they're playing at the uh, Roadhouse. Yeah, and just the whole aesthetic, like the lighting, the everything about it, the songs he chooses, like they're all just a little eerie and they're not outwardly trying to spook you and be like a Halloween song. There's just always something bubbling under the surface there. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so that's why I use, use that to describe our music. People seem to get that. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, so it's a little off. It's, <laughs> yeah. you know, you think you're getting like, rock band or or a southern rock band or 
um, some rootsy stuff, and then it goes in this other direction, and you're like, I didn't see that coming. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It almost is like a way to introduce people to a different type of music, too, because I can imagine you guys would have some fans that are drawn in naturally because of like the southern rock, blues rock type of stuff. Mm. But then they're like, all right, they're listening and they're liking it. And then you throw in some shit like a, a curveball sonically. And yeah. they're like, I guess I like this. you know and then they're like i I, it's like this thing going on in their mind is where it's like this is good but is is this good too yeah right you know both uh, can they coexist and and yeah the world won't explode (laughs) (laughs) right right yeah i think that's really cool honestly yeah I, i i watching that last night i was just like I've seen Mulholland Drive, and so I, if, yeah. if if I hadn't seen Mulholland Drive, it would have been different. But like I was the so I was watching it the whole time, thinking like, pretty soon into Eraserhead, I'm like, this has to be like a dream, or something, <laughs> because everyone the way everyone's acting, and there's just like random shit, like the dirt pile on the nightstand with the like, yeah. what like what, and I don't know, I. Me but if too, I hadn't seen Mulholland it. Drive, yeah, it was it was. It was mercifully only an hour and a half. I was like, okay, I couldn't take two hours of this. I don't think <laughs> so. It makes you so uncomfortable. But I mean, that's kind of the point, you know. I think yeah. that movie is about like I'm like, all right, what is this about? I think it's probably <laughs> about like just trying to capture the feeling of being stuck in a marriage with a kid you don't didn't want or like a marriage you don't like, right. but in a way that's like, okay, we get it you know <laughs> a little heavy heavy handed yeah. maybe <laughs> yeah but i know there's definitely like half the people who have seen that movie just have no clue what they just watched and like never get it at all <laughs> you know poor baby i know i know <laughs> yeah the baby he t- turns around oh i guess you are sick <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay yeah that happened <laughs> Oh shit. But um what about like your guys' uh your your live show? I mean, with 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 stuff that you guys do. I mean, if Southern Rock even like the image, like a lot of people, you know, they, it can get like you know, the the big outfits and things like that. I mean, do you guys try to like incorporate some of that psychedelic sort of avant-garde type stuff into the actual image of the live show or anything like that? Um, I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, we're pretty easygoing as a live band. I mean, I'd say our, our performances were more known for our live shows than our, our studio recordings. Um, but we don't oversell it in that way. I mean, like, I'll yeah. wear, like, crazy face gems on my face and be, like, a little spacey. But, no, you know, we don't we kind of just let the music speak for itself. Um, yeah. You know, when we're in a venue that has cool lighting that we can take advantage of, we definitely do. Um, but we've always been more about an org- organic live performance and not really trying to force feed anything to you or like, hi, we're spacey. Here's a spaceship. Now you know. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, in the future, if if budget allows, I would love to rent things up a little bit visually for the shows. I've always wanted to have like um, you can get on iTunes like the visualizer 
yeah music i'm always in a show wanting to have like a um some sort of s- jumbo screen behind us that just has crazy like images going while we play like very abstract but yeah. um i i've i'm always been drawn into that um i would love to do to, to do that or have some sort of video going on uh but i'm usually just trying to like get to the on time and make a set list and <laughs> yeah make sure everyone's fed and and ready to go so <laughs> right yeah i mean it's there's a line there that you you want to you got to kind of balance of like all right with everything extra that you do that's not just the music it's you have to kind of walk that line of like all right is this just is this helping what i'm trying right. to convey or is this just like self-indulgent and yeah. some sometimes it can be a little bit of both and you can get away with it you know yeah. but you don't want it to be like so over the top that like they're distracted from the fact that you're playing music you know right exactly i i hate that i went, I went to a show recently i'm not going to say who it is um <laughs> but where i just felt like it was all show and i was like watching all these people like hanging from ceilings and in in hoops and like there's just so much going on that i was just like is there a song behind all of this is this right trying to distract us from the fact that this isn't a good song and so it's like look over here (laughs) at this shiny thing um i've never really been a fan of that i only like i think pink floyd was the best at having like a tasteful amount of layer lasers yeah songs and that like screen they had this like oval shaped screen with lights on it with some old movies playing on it that that i liked well it was you know like you said it it enhances the music that's already happening when it distracts you from it just obnoxious i'm like yeah like (laughs) i've i've kind of thought about that too i'm a big radiohead fan oh yeah when they like i've seen them live twice and the second time was on their most recent tour when they came to Detroit. And I was thinking like the lights were really cool, but I feel like they could have done so much more. And I was just thinking about, you know, like their radio head, they do all these cool things all the time. But then I realized like, yeah, but they're also really serious about their music. And so they probably didn't want to do too much to where you, it became the the spectacle. Like, I think those guys are serious. I mean, they're obviously serious musicians and I think they were, now that I think about it, I think that's probably has something to do with why it wasn't because they have the budget, you know, it's not like they, they couldn't do it if they, if they wanted to, but the fact that they didn't want to do something crazy over the top makes me think that like, that was a conscious sort of choice. And I think yeah. for me, like I, I think about what I want to do with my own band and like playing live and I like so many ideas, but then I kind of have to check a lot of them because like I said, yeah, some of them are just self-indulgent. I'd think it would be cool, but it doesn't actually add anything, you know? I, yeah, I've, I've done that instrumentally, too, where I, I had a show once where I was like, I want to have, we're going to have horns, and we're going to have two keyboard players, and right. three backup singers, and it's going to be great. And then we did it, and I was like, way too many moving parts. I don't know what I was thinking. That was, and Very self-indulgent, like... Right. Sometimes it's just not. Sometimes less really is is more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's less to worry about too. I mean, yeah, that too. Like I, the lights and stuff. So, like I love to have, you know, 
some cool lighting and you know, but then you like if then you got to get a person to do them you know if, right. if you want lights other than what the venue does like i think that stuff just comes down the road like eventually yeah. as you like progress in your career i think naturally that'll happen you know to those who progress to a certain point it just happens that like it's time to up the production value because the budget is there or the, right. the label wants to do it or you, you know you're able to but it can be yeah. really distracting and just kind of gaudy to like overdo it when you know half the people at the gig don't didn't know who you were when they showed up you know what i mean and then now it's like this whole big thing and then they're like they don't even know what to take away from it and like i don't know it it can just feel like a lot maybe too soon but i agree (laughs) (laughs) but um what was i gonna say though oh but like in terms, all right. So that's kind of like the live thing, but when you guys record, because I know you said you're more known for like your live shows than the recorded stuff, and it was that like a like a purposeful, like conscious thing that you kind of want it to be that way, or do you think that you're trying to kind of like reverse that at all, or kind of curious like how that came about and like kind of what your recording. Um, approach is currently yeah, I mean I think you know our live shows have so much energy and we've been playing together for so long I think when you're at show in person you can really um, the, the audience can feed off of that energy and so it's just a different experience than sitting at home and listening to it but I think part of that too is I don't think until this record we had really found a way make that energy translate to recording. Um, yeah. You know, how can we, how can this be just exciting sitting and listening to it at home without sitting and seeing us in person? And I think these two, the two producers we worked with on this album, um, Reeves Gabrels and, and Mario J. McNulty really understood that. They had seen us a bunch of times live. Reeves has even played with us a bunch. And they're they're veterans of the industry, so they really knew how how to make the recordings kind of jump jump out of the out of the record player. Um, uh, I don't, and I'm not, I'm still not sure how they did it. Right. <laughs> they're geniuses, but 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 it, it's it's never been conscious to try to make one that's more known for one over the other. It's been kind of a journey to figure out okay, well, so our live shows are like this. We go into the studio, how do we, how do we record so that it's tight and it sounds good, but it doesn't sound too perfect or too flat, you know, like we're going in to play yeah. our parts perfectly. And, um, and, I, and I think we did that with this record. So, so hopefully with this album, we'll be known for both. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I kind of like the idea of having like on the record not necessarily like straight up mistakes like glaring mistakes or things like that i think another thing where you want to really walk the line here like is this helping or hurting but like too perfect is also kind of a turnoff too where i I don't I i love i'm just such a sucker for like the little things in recordings where you can tell like someone was actually in a room you know someone was actually playing that you know it it, it feels authentic in that way and it can you can have something really polished and really well done and still have like 
life to it, if that makes I, sense. It does, yeah, because otherwise it doesn't sound human, and if it doesn't sound human, then there's there's no emotion there, and, and that's really, I think, what you get live is just kind of an emotional pull. Um, but, but yeah. On, yeah, on a recording, if you're just, if it doesn't sound human, then it's like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. That's one of the hardest things for me making a record is, I mean, I've only made one, but like it, getting the same passion, especially vocals, like just kind of cultivating that out of nowhere when you're just in a booth versus when there's actual people there and there's like, feels like something is at stake. Right. You know? And, Very true. I had a hard time with that for a while. Yeah, because it, it can just feel like, all right, I'm really going to try really to sing this part really well. And you're focusing on, for me anyways, it's like you're focusing on hitting the notes and doing all these things. But like, just naturally, there, there's something missing and you don't quite really even know what it is until you're playing live and you're like, this is it. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I don't know if there's a fix for that. I think some people could just do it or you get better at it or something but i think you just get better at it i think it just yeah. takes practice and and when you're like you said when you're in a vocal booth it can feel almost like you're too present um, yeah you can't really let yourself go and but i think with time it just gets easier you stop overthinking um, yeah and just let go yeah it's it for me it's like i think the next record i make i'll be a little bit easier because i'll probably end up yeah. working with the same guy but I made a record with a guy that, like, when I was in high school, he was in a band that went to the same high school, but, like, we're famous now. And so I was like, all, like, everybody who played guitar in my town, like, looked up to this guy. And so, like, when I finally was ready to make a record, he was, a, he was producing records, so I hit him up. But, and he was a really cool guy, and he's, like, really easy to get along with and work with. But still, in my head, there was this, like, huge pressure that i just put on myself like uh you know he's the guy that i always thought you know that everybody always talked about blah 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 and now here i am and i want him to think i'm good when really not that he doesn't care but like he doesn't care if it's good yeah. or not you know what i mean like right. it's, <laughs> it doesn't matter it's like uh, it, the point is not to impress the producer but the, it's it's so hard to like be vulnerable in mm -hmm. front of just one person who's just actually whose job it is to like listen intently to everything you're doing. Every mistake yeah. is going to be heard four or five times when you're mixing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's definitely like, I mean, eventually got over it, you know, but I've, you know, I almost want to just keep working with the same producer just so I don't have to like have that <laughs> ice breaking period again where I feel uncomfortable um, but yeah, I mean, if it goes away, like you said, you get yeah. better at it. <laughs> and then what about like when you first started playing live, was that something that were you drawn to the spotlight, like drawn to the, the attention or was that something that like you had to learn to sort of be comfortable with? Um, I mean, I had growing up perform like I had sung back up in my dad's band um and had you know been in the school musicals and stuff like that so it wasn't a completely foreign thing to me but it was different in the sense that there is so much more vulnerability when you're performing your own music on stage um yeah. you're not just playing something that was written for you know 
for anyone to sing. And um, I did have a few gigs where I was really, really nervous to sing, sing my songs. I had one that I canceled last minute because I was just like, I can't do this. Huh, yeah. um, and, it, and it took a while and for a long time. I mean, even now I still get anxiety leading up to a show. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but once I'm up there and once the music starts, I feel like I can lose myself in it and, and stop. The, it's mostly the anticipatory anxiety that yeah. I deal with. Like, yeah. is anyone going to be there? Like, is, yeah. am I going to be able to hear myself? Am I, you know, is everybody in the band in a good mood and happy to be here? Like, I just go through right. spiral of, of everything that could go wrong. Um, and then when you're up there, you're like, oh, this feels great. So, so I don't know if it's a spotlight so much, but there's something about being on the stage with my band where I feel com very comfortable. Feel like yeah. I can be myself, um, and I don't care if people judge it. I don't care if people don't like it. Uh, you know. Yeah, that's a good spot to be. I mean, yeah. it takes a certain level of confidence, or if you're not very good, a certain level of delusion. You know, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like either way, however you get there, I I respect it. Like I've seen bands play that uh, are not good and. <laughs> It's, you know, I'm not saying that to be any type of, you know, way or mean or anything like that. But, you know, everybody, we've all seen bands that are just like, clearly they're just having a good old time up there and, you yeah. know, more power to them. But I respect, like, there's a couple of bands like around this area that I know, you know, you got to be very careful here because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But like, they're not what I would call good. Like, I don't like listening to it, but I like watching them do it because... Yeah of how into it they are and it's not it doesn't feel like some forced like character piece where they're trying to be something and it's bad it's like they just are who they are up there and it's i respect that so much that it's <laughs> like i want to support it even if it doesn't sound great to me it made me realize that's not the only thing that i would even watch a band for it's not just about how good quote unquote is it and yeah. when i say it's bad i mean that's based on my own perception and taste and things like that you know it's i'm not saying that it's not like other people would be wrong for thinking it's good you know what i mean everybody's got right. their own thing <laughs> but yeah for sure but kind of jumping back to something you said too like the day of show or pre-show anxiety that is something that i deal with a lot um, especially being like the singer, I, I just feel, yeah. I just feel like more perceived by people and so many things leading up to the show, like you said, and one of the biggest ones is, am I going to be able to hear myself? And you mentioned yeah. it's funny because like, if, if I can hear myself, like if I'm playing like a real venue where they have monitors and all that stuff, like I feel good, like almost like midway first song, I'm like, all right, this sounds Cause I think I'm, I think I'm good. You know, I think I believe in my band. Like I believe that mm -hmm. we're good. I just, what bothers me is when the sound is off and there's like some external uh, variable not related to me that's screwing it up. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but kind of uh, like, that what do you, sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the absolute worst. And especially like I, you know, in the, like the last couple years of my band, we play a lot of like house shows where, you show up having no idea what the PA is even going to look like, you know, and there's sometimes where 
the speakers are in front. A lot of times, the speakers are in front of you, and there's no monitors, and it's just That's what's coming loud. out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, have no clue what you're doing, and and then people afterwards would be like, "Yeah, it was like you're a little pitchy, but you know, it's like, well, yeah, probably." <laughs> People used to give me a hard time too. But, uh, first band I ever sang and never had monitors, and I was like, "Can't do this." Oh, you don't need a monitor, and I'm like, "It's yes, I do. You're loud. You're playing a loud guitar. You have an amplifier, like right behind me." And I would lose my voice um, next day after every show, and my voice teacher was like, "Well, it's because you're not singing with monitors, and so you're trying to sing loud enough over the band behind you to hear yourself." Yeah, and you're going to hurt your voice that way. But a lot of places, you know, they don't see mo- a monitor as like an extra bonus. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's, right. it's part of the necessary equipment. It should come with a PA. Like, yeah, yeah, that's a whole racket. I feel like monitors should be uh, PAs should be sold with monitors. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, and like even <laughs> in worst case scenario, if you show up and there's there's two only two speakers. One of those things needs to be turned towards the stage. Exactly. And yeah. People should just get one because it's it's just not you get a better show. It, it, yeah. That should be, I don't know, should be common sense. That's my PSA for <laughs> But I wanted to uh before I forget, like, what do you kind of cause like my pre-show ritual, I'm starting to develop one, not to be like a pre-Madonna or anything, but like <laughs> I, I try to just not engage with people before like for like a half an hour at least before i play because i just need to just center myself and just chill but like do you do you do anything do you find yourself having like any sort of ritual or like habits or anything like that the day of a show um i mean the day of the i mean i'm always uh have to get like at least eight hours of sleep the night before a show i feel like can't do a whole hours sleep or anything like that i mean and that a lot of that is for my voice but also mentally i feel like if i wake up tired start just freaking out that my voice is going to sound tired um never i drink lots of water never drink caffeine the day of a show oh um, really yeah it's very drying I, I, everyone's different but for me it's yeah. very drying but i agree with you once i get to the venue like my routine is like i like to get there early very early i don't like yeah. rushing i like to have time to myself um and again i it's the same thing like you know i want to be like a diva like no photos please kind of thing <laughs> like people are chasing me down before a show to hang out but it, it can be very disruptive to like your pre-show energy if you feel yeah. like trying to relax and and focus prepare for the show and instead you're having to make conversation and it's like a different part of your brain, I feel, that's getting hyperactive yeah. when you should be. So, so I'm the same way. I try, I, a bunch of places I play, you know, they don't have a green room. I mean, that's a luxury, but when there is one, yeah. I will definitely hole up in there and then afterwards tell people like, sorry, I didn't come say hi before, but it's just too, it's too nerve wracking. And then I feel like I get on stage and my energy's just, through the like my nerves are through the roof and everything's off and it takes a couple songs to like back in the zone of where, where I should be um but yeah we had a show a couple a few months ago and my PR team who's great 
um, who you've spoken with, um, lined up a bunch of people to come to the show um, and talk to me before. And it ended up just kind of, I mean, it worked out great. And I don't think any of them could tell how stressed out I was, but it just felt like, you know, as a band leader, and you know this, you're, there's so much you're, you're setting up before a show. So you're trying yeah. to do that. People are, the band is asking you questions, and then you've got people from magazines asking you questions, and you're about to play a set. It just doesn't work for me. I, I feel like quiet time is, maybe, maybe that's my ritual. Quiet time and a, and a whiskey neat. That's, uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's my secret formula. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a drink, maybe. Uh, and I'm, I don't really, I don't like being drunk. Like, I, you know, I had my college years. I, <laughs> I indulged, let's say, but uh, yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll have one just maybe to take on stage, even just to feel uh, like I have something to just grab if I don't know what the well, what to do, you know. Yeah. In a song, <laughs> but I've been even like, I mean, you see the bookshelf. I br I'll bring a book and read it in the green room, and people look at me like, "Really, dude?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah," because like I'm I read fiction, so it's like I'm in a another world right now not yeah. thinking about any of this I, and, I might try that yeah and you look dorky but i don't give a shit you know like <laughs> <laughs> i it's i've you know i feel like this is one of the ways that being like a front man has helped me and maybe you'll relate is like when you get once you get used to going on stage and just like being the most like pure honest version of yourself in front of just like your friends to strangers, it's harder to be embarrassed about other things in your life. It's harder to feel like, yeah. I don't know if I like the way this looks if I go like read at a bar or something. Not that I do right. that all the time, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. have you found that like, has it like changed like being doing this live music stuff? I know you said you played with like your dad back in the day, but do you feel like that? changes yeah change the way you kind of approach other things in your life a little bit i wish it has more <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do think i get preoccupied um little things as an avoidance technique um do feel like i could spend a lot less time caring about what other people think when i'm off the stage you know i think like on the stage or in the studio is one thing but in real life, I don't know that I'm there yet. I want to get there. That sounds zen and awesome. Uh, yeah. Just, I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I live in a big city, but sometimes it feels very small. <laughs> and it feels like there's a lot of like white noise uh, sounding the actual music uh, that I, that's easy to get distracted by. Um, so oh yeah i don't know maybe maybe i'm a couple years from that no Hopefully. i could definitely <laughs> i I'm, I'm certainly not entirely there you know like i yeah. still have like i definitely have a lot of just weird i think it's uh i tell myself as a as a means of uh rationalizing and making myself feel better that it's an intelligence thing like there's this quote that says like the smartest people are full of doubt and you know the the dumbest have none or something i i totally butchered that but like 
I so that's like that. that's my yeah, that's my like self rationalization technique is to just to use that sort of line of thinking. But yeah, like so we're just really smart, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's really hard being smart. It's really tough. Yeah, well, I think there is some truth to like you know, I think intelligence is associated with like like uh, pretty strong imagination sometimes, and sometimes the way your imagination bites you in the ass is by thinking of all the ways that you're insufficient or you're inadequate or all the all the things that could go wrong or are going wrong are it's like a byproduct of a brain that like can craft a lot of different things you know and so it 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 definitely has got the the yin and the yang um but i don't know it's not the worst thing in the world being the the front of a band so i'm not gonna (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pretty sweet. It's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> like, just like of all the things that some people, because I feel like people are born with predispositions to certain things and, you know, whether or not you find out what you're good at or not is, is, is one thing, but to, to, to know that like <laughs> one, I was born with a predisposition to play music and then I found music and then I have a position to where like I can play live and people, even if it's like five people, like someone showed up and I get to do that. Like that's, yeah. that's sweet. Like that's awesome. That's yeah. like a win in a, in and of itself. So that's always a good feeling, but yeah. um, I'm going to ask you, you know, you said you've been playing for a while. Oh, actually, let me ask you real quick. Cause you said you're from New York. Are you, do you guys still live in New York? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, we're all we're all here. I mean, Rob is Rob is still in New Jersey, but the rest of us are are in the city, it's different boroughs. Okay. Brooklyn, Manhattan or Um well a- actually, so I'm in the drummer and I are in Brooklyn. Player is in Queens. Actually, my guitarist now uh moved back out to Long Island, but he's all the way out on the East End like in Greenport. Oh. Way okay. way way out there. Yeah. Yeah. But, but New York still. So my question that I was getting at is like for playing live, I mean, big city bands, I feel like you can completely sustain yourself most likely in just the New York area. Like there's, there's different types of like, Oh, now we're here in the New York. Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there um, it is. (laughs) But, um, I feel like you could make the choice to be a New York band and play in New York all the time. But have you, where do you want to do? Like, have you gone on tour? Does that touring the country, is that something that you find appealing or have you done that? Yes. I mean, we're definitely itching to do that. Um, We've done it before Um, with our first album. We did a tour kind of up and down the East Coast. So we went all the way down uh, Asheville, North Carolina, uh, made stops in D.C. and Virginia and Raleigh. Um, and then went as far up as, um, Stanford, Connecticut. That was a lot of fun. And then, um, we've done kind of a bunch of mini tours. Like, uh, we usually go play South by Southwest every year and then we'll, we'll do some stuff in the South. Um, do like a West coast tour where we go up and down the coast of California. Um, I'm really looking forward, uh, Getting back to that. It's looking like it's probably going to be spring 2022. It just 
the timing of, of our release and the way everything's going um, COVID-wise, we just felt like, you know, let's p plan this as much as I'm dying. You know, if someone told me today, pack your bags and be prepared to be gone for three months, I would be so excited. Oh, um, yeah. So it's definitely something we're, we're planning for in the spring. Um, and we're hoping to get to some Midwest uh, places because we haven't yet. So Chicago, oh, okay. maybe Detroit, um, yeah. Colorado, um, you know, a bunch of places. So we'll see what happens. But definitely something we love to do. And, and we do. I mean, we have plenty of gigs in New York City. I mean, it's like you can play a gig in Brooklyn and play a gig in Manhattan and you have a totally different crowd because yeah, you know, it's, it's a big city and, and people don't really like to leave their boroughs. Um, so <laughs> we, we do pretty well just playing within here, like going to New Jersey or, or up in Westchester. Um, but I think we're all ready to get out of here for, for a spell. So yeah. hopefully that happens oh, I, soon. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like we're we're just starting. Like we're putting out our record next month. So cool. Congrats. Yeah, I, yeah. Thanks. I I took took like two years to record like twenty five minutes of music just because of <laughs> finances. And oh yeah. Scheduling and all that stuff. Yeah. But I did put a lot of time into it. So I'm like really terrified and excited and nervous and curious to see how it all plays out you know yeah. and so like i'm in the middle of doing what you're doing like i'm doing all these podcasts and like trying to line things up and talking to my own pr agent and things like that it's it's uh it's actually been a lot of fun being on the other side of the microphone because i've interviewed so many people but i've only been interviewed like two or three times mm. so it's like a new thing but looking mm. forward so much to like leaving the state of michigan and <laughs> just seeing what happens and I, i'm curious i always like to ask bands that have kind of done it already because i haven't you know i've played in ohio a couple times but that's <laughs> it but um when you first started touring like was there anything that surprised you or are there any things that like you took away from it that maybe you wish you would have known beforehand or you would definitely keep in mind now for the next time around i mean i think know uh i mean for me this is kind of a crappy thing to have to talk about but you know financially i feel like there are decisions i've made that were not great or that maybe i could have asked for more money or you know asked for the band to be put up um bad at asking for those things and i think uh right. I also, when going to places I've never been before, um, found that like I should have done more thorough research on the places we did stay <laughs> ahead of time, um, because you you end up in a place uh, where the accommodations aren't right. You're on the road. I mean, you can't really do anything about it. Um, we had an instance with an Airbnb in uh, Austin um, where I don't think the woman was deliberately trying to sleet us but got there and the house was like half under renovation um <laughs> so she was like i'm gonna put you guys you know i'm sorry the house isn't ready yet i'll put you up in a hotel i got you a hotel room 
And I'm like, there are five of us and we're grown adults. We, we're not going to share one room. That's why we got an Airbnb. Like, right. I could have done that. I could have spent the same amount on a hotel room. I'll sleep on cots. Um, and it kind of went on for three days while we're in the middle of trying to play all these shows with n- no real place to stay. Um, and yeah, so that, you know, I think the accommodations part of it is really, uh, I've learned is like trying to find places that will put you up because they, they're out there. Um, and oftentimes, you know, they'll even, they'll find friends that can put you up or something like that. Cause that ends up being the bulk of my expenses. I feel like when we're touring is where, where we're going to stay. Um, so I've gotten a little better at that. Um, and I mean, I think also just learning how to space things out. Um, mm. You want to play as many shows as possible because that's how you make your money. But play too many shows in a row, uh, something bad will happen. And I think on this first tour we did, I lost my voice. You know, we had like five nights in a row and then one night off. And the fifth night, I could barely sing. Um, and I mean, I chalked that up also. I was less of a skilled singer then. Like, I think I'm more, I'm in better shape physically as a singer. Yeah. But that was a bummer because then you have a show and it's like, well, you can cancel the show. You can't sing or try to pull it off. So trying to do like three nights in a row as my max and then a day off and then another three nights. Uh, what I found works. I, I mean, those are little things I've learned. I'm sure I still have a lot to learn. Um, I mean, I'm crazy. I'll I'll book us like a show in the afternoon and a show at night. I actually did this to us on Saturday. <laughs> we had a show from four to seven and then a show from eight to eleven. Um, but it ended up being fun. But I don't know that I would do it again. <laughs> yeah, that sounds I, like some scrambling. Yeah, you know, just learning when to say no to things and how to pace things. Um, you know, you don't want to come back from tour all sick or pharyngitis or. Yeah, like that. So, you know, trying trying to get as much done in in an as efficient, cost effective way as possible without yourselves, basically. Yeah, no, I I totally get that. I uh, I'm just, you know, looking forward to and not looking forward to figuring out who in my band annoys me the most. (laughs) (laughs) When you're stuck in a car with them for, you know, four, six, eight hours a day, you know, depending. So (coughs) I feel like overall it's a good problem to have. I just want to be out there, but that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I know something's going to happen. Like I know something is going to not feel right eventually, like just naturally. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, uh, Um, yeah, pretty much that, you know, I never know how to like really end these things, but just, (laughs) I guess like outside of the music, uh, is there anything artistic that you do or is there any like other hobbies or cause like music can feel to me like I forget that I enjoy other things. Sometimes I feel yeah. like I'm so obsessed with, with doing a, a music, but do you guys, do you have anything like outside of the band that kind of interests you or passionate about? Um, I mean, I, you know, I do love, I do love film. Um, and I do, I mean, I love writing, even if it's not for music. Um, always wanted to write more, um, you know, beyond lyrics. I should. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, I've always 
wish I was more of an accomplished writer. That's something I'd want to do. I, I also wish I could draw. I wish my answer to this question was, yes, I'm also an abstract painter in my free time, and I, I just don't know how to do that. But maybe, maybe I'll take some lessons, and then for the next yeah. inter interview, I can give that answer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've asked people before too, like what what is like one art form that you wish you could do, and like you just don't understand how people could do it. And I think painting or like lifelike drawing. I'm like, yeah, how do they do that? Yeah, I, it's it's crazy <laughs> to yeah. me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was nice to meet you and everything. Uh, Real quick, if you want to just uh, and I have like a I have like a three to four week delay right now of getting okay. these out just because of other bands in the queue that I kind of overextend myself and book too many of these. Yes. But uh, <laughs> I'll let you know when this is going to be out. Um, and then let people know real quick, like where you know where to find the band online, social media, where the music is, all that stuff. Right. Well, we are. Um, you know, called Lizzie and the Makers, and we have a website, www.lizzieandthemakers.com, um, that I have to update. It'll be updated by the time this airs. Um, and uh, we're on Instagram. It's also just Lizzie and the Makers. Um, I have a TikTok. I think I post every two months. Uh, <laughs> it's always a good one. Um, and then our music you can hear pretty much anywhere Spotify, iTunes. We have a band camp. We're on YouTube music um, and, you know, just regular YouTube. Uh, there are videos for all of our songs, whether they're just lyric videos or, or actual music videos we've made. Um, yeah, go go check it out. Amazon Music also. Cool. All right. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on and all that. And, you yeah. know, hopefully. Thank you for uh, having me. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know. Hit me up when you guys are coming through Michigan. I might even be able to help you find a gig out here. Oh, yes. I yeah. promise you I will do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. All right, well, yep. It's nice to meet you. Uh, you have a good Thanks night. You too. Thanks, you too. So, yeah, that's it. Thank you for listening. Go check out Lizzie and the Makers. Go give us a follow on Spotify, Instagram, Twitter, at Invite the Neighbors Pod. And... Yeah, I don't know what else to say. Thanks for listening again, dude. Double thanks. Bye.